All right, we're going to go into part eight of the book of Daniel. If you have your Bibles, Daniel chapter nine. If you got your Bible, hold it up, electronic or paper or otherwise, just so I know you got it and you're thinking about the word. So Daniel chapter nine. It's been a great series as we've looked at this guy named Daniel, and Daniel has lived an illustrious life. He was uh, transferred into Babylon as a teenager. Um, um, he is entrusted with visions and and wisdom for kings and multiple empires, uh, new kings. He's handled, if you will, the changes of government and who is in office and the new cultures. And, and I think we can learn from Daniel how to thrive in our own Babylon, how we, can, how we can make it. You know, this is not the worst time in history. It's the best time. This is not the worst time to live. It's the best time. And we have the opportunity to learn from the scripture what is offered through Daniel's life of how to make it. And of course, by the time we reach him in chapter nine, uh, he's over 80 years old. He's been through it all. And, uh, and on top of that, Daniel uh, has just been given the visions that Pastor Nathan preached about last week. And uh, those visions were overwhelming. And he had to figure out, what do I do with this sense of, of being overwhelmed as we look at Daniel chapter nine, starting with verse one. It was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Asherus, who became king of the Babylonians. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of God of the Lord, as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet, that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. Now we're going to see that Daniel's prayer is a part of this story. You'll see in your outline in the bulletin. But what you also see is before he prayed is he was to dig into the scriptures for understanding. So everybody said dig. What I mean by dig is you see this guy who's in his 80s not figuring out what's going around him and he doesn't turn on Fox News or CNN. How many know you don't know how reliable any of that stuff is anymore anyways? He isn't just looking on Facebook for whatever stories people are sharing, trying to figure out what's going on. He's digging into scripture. And for him, that scripture that he's looking at is the book of Jeremiah. Now, you might think Jeremiah is an isolated text from the rest of this story. But Jeremiah had written a prophecy 70 years before, at least 70 years, about what would happen in Daniel's day. And it would be as if he sat down in 1947 and wrote about 2017. And he writes this prophecy. Well, Daniel is trying to figure out how to make sense of what's going on. And so he starts reading through the prophecies of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah had prophesied that Israel would be exiled to Babylon. And that's exactly what happened. And so he's reading it. I mean, it would be like, wow. I mean, if you think about it, 1947 was before cell phones. It was before colored TV, internet, anything like that. And trying to make sense of what would happen 70 years down the road. And it's incredible because the entire prophecy came true. And Daniel's trying to make sense of it. I just want to challenge people in here. Perhaps you're way along in your faith journey, and you're in your 80s, 90s. It's not over 
as far as your responsibility goes, to keep studying the scriptures. You got to keep studying it to figure out what's going on. It's not like you reach it once you hit 55. Hello, you might get a discount at a restaurant or something, but you're not getting, you don't have more revelation because of it. And at the, at the end of the day, we all need to dig in. And I would just say this, in 2017, in our culture, truth is being changed in the last few years. And so now, whatever you saw on a YouTube video or whatever was tweeted out or whatever was shared on Facebook or whatever was, it's, it's almost as if truth changes daily, whatever's good for you. I mean, there's all kinds of identity changes that are happening that who made it up? I mean, literally, it's just floating all over the place. And Daniel was able to make sense of his era that was much like ours by digging into the scripture. You see, we have a huge need to discover what the word of God is really saying about our lives. Not just what I say on Sunday, but, and not just what you read in social media or other places, but what does the word of God say? It has a lot to say about the people around us and the culture around us, about marriage and family and about sin and about government. Sin's a word that's been removed from our society. But sin is a very real force in today's world for Christian and those that aren't Christians. Sin is an enemy. It wants to wipe you out. And sin wants to get us. But in our culture, no, everybody just made a mistake. Or you can just choose to be whatever you want to be. But those things, Jesus did not die for our mistakes. He died for our sin. He died so that our sin doesn't count against us so that we can have eternal life and instant access to heaven right now. The thief is working to destroy people generationally. Our kids gotta know the word. So I love about Pastor Aaron, our kids ministry and the team. Is they're teaching the Bible to our next generation. But parents, you better be teaching the Bible to your kids. Because if they don't hear it from you, they're going to hear a whole bunch of other information from outside your home and outside the church. They better know the word. Can I get an amen to that? All right. So what is he reading? He's reading from Jeremiah 29. And this is the, Daniel's reading this text from 70 years before. And many people will like to quote verse 11 of chapter 29, but you don't know the context, is, starts with verse 10. This is what God said. He said, this is what the Lord says, you will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. So Daniel had been as a teenager in Babylon, and now all these decades later, he's lived on both sides of this prophecy. He's lived on the side where it said he was going to go into exile, and now he can see around the corner the return back to Jerusalem. And it's a powerful moment because Daniel's contemplating what Jeremiah had said through the Lord's inspiration. And all these things were coming together and it forced him to do something. Look at Daniel's response in verse three. It says, so I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. So his response to the revelation 
was to pray. Our response is to talk sometimes or to mold things in our head or to be bothered by things. We see those things and Daniel shows us the best thing to do is to pray. Can I say that to you today? The best thing you can do when you're bothered is to pray. And by the way, a burden is not a bad thing. A burden is the birthplace for vision. You might be bothered and you're ticked off and things seem to be going wrong and not even realize it's the foundation for your future if you recognize and pray. And those things that bother you when they're put in the Lord's hands transform your future. Then there's a picture of something positive. If you're predisposed to be negative about everything in your life, perhaps you need to turn those things over to the Lord in prayer. He's invited us. He said, call out to me and I'll answer. And if we begin to pray, Jesus has given us an invitation into the very throne room for our prayers. Daniel prays. And then you need to know this. Human solutions only bring temporary relief. We want more than human solutions. Can I get an amen? Now he begins to pray. How many of you want to know how to pray? Huh? How many of you want to pray more like your pastor sometimes? You want to pray more confidently, right? You, you pray the word. So you look at people's prayers. There's so many great prayers in the word. Daniel's going to show us a prayer. And we're going to learn some things from his prayer. But this is not just any prayer. This is a, a prayer that you can follow. Jesus told us how to pray. What did he say? Pray this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be. And he said pray this way. He didn't say you have to pray these exact words. He was giving us a pattern to follow. Daniel gives us a pattern to follow. We're going to look at two different sections of chapter 9, verses 4 to 6, and then to 12 and 14. Verse 4. He said, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. Everybody say confessed. Confession is speaking the same thing to God as what he already sees. There's nothing hidden here, okay? He says, oh Lord, you are a great and awesome God. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. By the way, the pattern there, you declare who God is. Don't start off with how horrible your life is. Go to the one that you know is above all of that, amen? So he declares who God is, all right? And obey your commands. Verse five, but we have sinned and done wrong. We have rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. Bob, by the way, He's been reading the old scriptures who said, you're in trouble because you sinned. And this is what's going to happen. The other thing I want you to notice is, Daniel doesn't say, those people sinned and messed up. Those Republicans, those Democrats, those, hello? Those corporations, all those, he doesn't blame everybody else. He includes himself in the confession. It's a we, not me prayer. Turn to the person next to you and say, we, not me. She says, we have sinned and done wrong. We've rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. Verse six, we have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors to tell all the people of the land. So now the solemn curses and judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured down on us because of our sin. Verse 12, 
You have kept your word and done to us and our rulers exactly as you warned. Never has there been such a disaster as happened in Jerusalem. Every curse written against us in the law of Moses has come true. Yet we have refused to seek mercy from the Lord our God by turning from our sins and recognizing his truth. Therefore, the Lord has brought upon us the disaster he prepared. The Lord our God was right to do all of these things, for we did not obey him. Wow. So this is what's going on. God the Father loves Israel, tells Israel this is how you should live. If you don't and you disobey my commands, I'm going to discipline you. When I discipline you, you'll go in. It's kind of progressive. With each uh, crossing of the line, I'm going to bring judgment to your land. I'll give you bad kings. Then after I give you bad kings, I'm going to have other nations come and conquer you. And every step of the way, you need to know God's big picture view. His big picture view is that I am bringing you not through destruction, I'm bringing you through discipline. And I am going to discipline you, but I'm not gonna leave you, I'm not gonna punish you. Sometimes we think that God, once God is done with you, it's all over. I screwed up, I messed up, it's all over. But no, with God, what he's doing is he's saying, I'm going to do this. Now looking back, Daniel's able to see that the promises that God had on the front end are coming true. They messed up. They went into discipline and captivity. Now God says, I'm also going to bring you home. And that day is coming. And so as he looks forward, now Daniel's in a place where he recognizes I am in the middle of a moment of that 70 years being over. Nehemiah is around and he's going to be sent back to rebuild the city. Ezra the priest is going to raise up and there's going to be things happening. He's realizing he's at the other end of the story now. He's been at both ends. And I just know this, when it comes to discipline as parents, how many know sometimes as a parent you have to discipline even when your kids don't understand you? And you give them warnings, don't touch the hot stove, it will hurt you. Right? And what happens is, if you learn to listen to the admonition and instruction of the Lord, you begin to obey and listen because you believe he has the best interest in mind for you. But if you don't, there are increasing disciplines. It gets harsher over time. This is true when you, as kids move into their teenage years and mom and dad seem so foolish because now the independence is rising to the surface but parents warn you, this will happen, this will happen, this will happen. And sure enough, when they cross the lines, guess what happens? Exactly what mom and dad said, right? And then, and some of you are like, I wish my mom and dad would have warned me. Hello. Thank God for the body of Christ and the word of God. You can be a part of the family of God and he can restore things you didn't get as a kid. But here's, here's how it moves. But God always has restoration in mind. There's never a point when God wants to wipe somebody out. That's what the devil does. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But God comes to bring life. And sometimes the pathway to life is through discipline. How many of you have gone through the school of hard knocks? Let's be honest. And you keep repeating the same thing until you learn and you bow your knee, you begin to obey the right way, and then things go well for you. 
That's how it works. So as Daniel is praying, he's recognizing those things. He's recognizing the sin. He's not excusing the sin. And he's looking forward to something next. And because it hasn't happened yet, he has a great burden for his city. He says in verse 18, oh my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see your despair, our despair. See how your, your city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea, not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. For your own sake, do not delay, for, oh my God, for your people and your city bear your name. Can I just say this? Mature believers pray for their city. They're not critics of the culture. They pray for it. You know why? It's really in the heartbeat of God. Jesus had compassion for the crowds, Matthew 9. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Do you think we got some confused and helpless people in our culture right now? And as a church, we can't just point our fingers at them and go, that's so idiotic, that's so stupid. No, we need to be like Daniel where we go, Lord, listen to me, forgive, restore, bring the shepherds in, raise up the church to be the church. And if we do, and we have compassion for the people around us, and we have prayer combined over time, compassion plus sustained prayer equals transformative vision. Church, we need vision for the future, but it's gonna come through daily prayer plus compassion. When we truly have a heart, if you're like one of those people that you just had it with the world around you, then you need to get on your knees and say, God, give me a we vision, not a me vision. Give me your heartbeat for the world that's around me. Sin is killing our culture. Jesus is the answer. And guess what? He's called the church to be a part of his solution. You matter. Your compassion, your daily prayers. You're like, well, I prayed once. God didn't answer me. No, no, no. Daniel shows us it's sustained prayer. Daily, sticking at it. And that prayer makes a difference. And of course, God answers. And where he answers, he gives kind of a small vision that I'm just going to give a few notes about in verses 21 through 27, chapter 9. It says in verse 21, as, everybody said as. You know, the best time for God to speak to you is while you're praying. And if you're not praying, how is he going to talk to you? As, ooh, as I was praying, Gabriel whom I had seen in the earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. And he explained to me, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, you should underline that or highlight it, a command was given. And now I am here to tell you what it was, for you are very precious to God. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. So Gabriel comes and he's going to share a vision with him. And that vision uh, is, is amazing. That vision, the future is foretold again. And there are seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven that Jerusalem will be rebuilt. By the way, many scholars look back and you can see when Jerusalem was rebuilt and it lines right up. But it also says that there's an anointed one, capital A, anointed one, who will be killed. Who does that sound like? That's Jesus. Jesus. 
He prophesies about Jesus and his death. How many know this wasn't just a one-time hit? The whole of the Old Testament was pointing forward towards Jesus. That's why Jesus is the answer. Come on, somebody. He is the one we put our hope in. And then he says that the end will come. The end will come. Now, in this, there are parts of the vision that are very clear. There are parts that aren't as clear, and we don't know when they'll be completed. Some of them actually have been fulfilled. And there are some controversy that people like to read into this particular passage. I don't want to direct you to the exact what's. I want to refer to what Pastor Nathan talked about last week. When it comes to the end times, be prepared to be a part of the welcoming committee and not worried about the planning committee. In other words, you don't have to have all the details right. You just need to have your heart ready for the end and what Jesus is going to do. And that's, that's, we find hope in the fact that God is in control no matter what happens in this story. He sees the long view and he's connected. And just one more thought before we turn the page into chapter 10. All of these visions, when it mentions Israel and Jerusalem, are not about America. And many times we've Americanized our view of the scripture. Israel is a real place on the map. Jerusalem is a real city on the map. And so when the, you see these things going on here in the scripture, it's about an actual place. And God still has his eye on Jerusalem today. All right? Now, Israel may not be living for God. They might not be living holy. They might be under the judgment of the Old Testament still. But God still has a heart for Jerusalem. At the end of time, things are going to shift their attention back to the Middle East. That's why so many people over the last 30, 40 years have gotten kind of prophetic excitement because as the armies have closed in on Jerusalem or there's wars breaking out of that part of the world, they're wondering, is this what Daniel was talking about? We don't know, but it will happen over there. So stay tuned for that. Here we go. Chapter 10, two years later. Daniel gets that vision, he contemplates it. Now we go two years into the future, okay? And Daniel's revelation of the spirit world is what happens in chapter 10. There's a revelation of the spirit world, all right? In verse one, it says, in the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, had another vision. He understood that the vision concerned events certain to happen in the future, times of war and great hardship. By the way, there are many people that think, man, war is of the devil. I would agree, ultimately, war is bad. But war sometimes is going to break out, and it's in the Bible it's going to break out. So if you're mad about war, maybe you need to go to God and say, God, end the wars. Or God, speed up your prophetic vision. Because literally, everyone in the world isn't following God. And so God will move the hearts of kings and conflicts around over time because he has a purpose in mind. So those wars and those hardships are coming. Verse two, when this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. All that time I had eaten no rich food, no meat or wine crossed my lips, and I used no fragrant lotions until those three weeks had passed. Now here's what you have going on. Daniel's still worried about what's going on in the world and the visions he's seen, and he begins to fast. He fasted in the first chapter, and now he fasts in this next chapter. Fasting, what is fasting, and why is it important to a believer? Let me talk a little bit about that. 
Fasting removes barriers to hearing God. That's what it does. Fasting does not make God listen better. God already hears your prayer the moment you say it. What fasting does is it enables us to hear him better. Now in an audience the size of mine and three campuses today, every one of us are coming from a different vantage point. I want to just say, fasting is not a spiritual way to lose weight. It's not like God wants us to go on, here, I need to lose weight, I'm gonna go on a fast, I'm so holy. You may lose weight, but God may, you might not hear God any better if that's your attitude, all right? The other thing is, if you have extremes in your life, maybe you've had an eating disorder or whatever, you have to be very careful about how you handle what goes in your body and what you do. So don't be stupid about it, okay? Daniel is smart about his fasting, it's a regular rhythm, he's in his 80s and he's still fasting. Some of you have fasted at earlier points of your life and maybe God needs to call you back to fasting again. And because he's fasting in this passage in in Daniel chapter 10, he sees a vision while he's standing along the Tigris. We'll see it in just a moment, the river, that everyone around him didn't see, okay? Because he's able to perceive things in the spirit that he couldn't prior to the fast. We all have internal barriers to hearing God. It's our busy minds, it's our, our lust of the flesh the scripture talks about, or the, the desires of the sinful nature. We can get so busy with life, and then we have external things, the busyness around us, our schedules, the noise, the literal noise, the literal buzz of a phone, the literal stuff around us that can escape, we can escape into and no longer hear God's voice. And so he's dealing with those things and he's fasting. I see this and hear this at times. I've been alongside the, be, uh, the deathbed of people who are uh, close to going to being with Jesus. And perhaps you've had the privilege of being next to somebody that was about to, to die and go to the next life and to be with the Lord. And uh, you'll see them, and sometimes near the end, they'll start going, do you hear the music? Now, some people think, oh, that's just stupid. There's no music. They're not hearing any music. You know what I think is happening? I actually think they're hearing the spirit. Their spirit is coming to the forefront and their flesh is going back and it's dying and they're becoming alive. You have a spirit person that sometimes gets deadened by the outer person. I don't want to freak you out around here right now, but fasting opens up your capacity of the spirit person to hear God. That's why it works and that's why he does it and that's why you see it throughout the scripture. All right, so then... Daniel's about to get a new vision. Before he gets the vision, I want you to see a couple things. Starting with verse four. It says, on April 23, as I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist and his body looked like a precious gem and his face flashed like lightning and his eyes flamed like torches and his arms and feet shone like polished bronze and his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. So this is a guy he sees that's in a vision. Now there's two different people in this that I want you to catch. And different people have identified each one as Jesus, some as an angel and otherwise. So let me give you a little bit of insight on how to discern. The person he sees is much like the description of the one that John the Revelator saw in Revelations. The way he's described, it could be Jesus, his voice and how he talked, all right? But then there's another person, and we'll hear from him in just a moment, that I think is probably Gabriel. 
And the way we can distinguish is Gabriel talks and he says, I was delayed because, uh, and I needed help from the archangel Michael. Um, and he came in and he's helping me out. I just want to tell you this. If there's a spiritual battle that Jesus is in, he doesn't need Michael's help. All right? So that's a way to distinguish between the, the different people that are in this, this passage. All right. Verse 12. This is the eye-opening moment. It says, then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. Say that with me. Don't be afraid, Daniel. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, don't be afraid, Daniel. Anytime all this apocalyptic end time stuff is going on, you will hear the confidence of heaven smiling on you. And he says, don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. From the first time, okay, I have come and answered to your prayer, but... For 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. It's as if, by the way, he sent up, he ordered something on Amazon. It was supposed to be shipped. You could track it on UPS, but it didn't arrive for 21 days. But I have Amazon Prime. I'm supposed to get it on time, right? I know that's never happened to any of you guys. You're waiting for a package or something. So he's been delayed for 21 days, it says, but for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. And then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me. And I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now, I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future. For this vision concerns a time yet to come. We're going to talk next week about the vision of the time to come. But for today, I just want to focus in the minutes I have left on what was revealed when the angel said, I was delayed for 21 days, that there was a prince that opposed me that was a demonic stronghold prince over a nation called Persia. And there was a fight, a battle going on. Now, this is an interesting moment because I want you to know when you look at that spirit dimension, there, it's very real. And if you ignore it, you're in trouble. If you, people in the church world have gone from one end of the pendulum to the other. On one end, people deny that there are demons and there's spiritual warfare, and they just try to hold on, okay? And on the other end, they're calling out, you know, there's a demon in every Coke machine or something. They're, you know, and they, everything's demon, demon. If you're thinking about demons too much, you're not thinking about Jesus enough, all right? The demons don't have power. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So somewhere in the middle, what we're realizing is something going on. And there's a delay in prayer because of the spiritual warfare. By the way, that's not the only reason that you don't get answers to your prayer. Our women at Emmanuel, they've been doing an online study of, of um, Susie Larson's book, Your Powerful Prayers This Summer, and she was talking this last week about how uh, pride, if you have pride in your heart, God will oppose the proud. That'll stop your prayer, so it's not just a demon. If you got pride, you got to deal with it. You know, if you have unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart, it will shut you down. Jesus said that if you don't forgive somebody else, the same measure you use against somebody else will be used against you. And so they've been talking about that. By the way, ladies, keep 
keep talking about the word and that. It's a great book, a great challenge for you to, to stay praying. Prayers that are effective require unity. And so the enemy will try to come in and destroy unity. If a husband and wife have uh, an argument, they're to deal with it before the sun goes down so that their prayers aren't hindered. And, and I, I just want you to know, when it comes to your prayer life, if you're not getting an answer, there's either spiritual warfare or there's an inward challenge that you need to deal with. Deal with the inward challenge and then take authority in the spirit. And when Daniel is humble and he's righteous and it's not something he had done wrong, he doesn't have pride in his heart, and his answer is still to come, something else is happening and he's being made aware of what else was happening. There's a hierarchy of organized activity in the spirit dimension. On God's side, you see Michael as an archangel and Gabriel. And then on the enemy's side, evil side, it says the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. So what we have is a conflict that's going on. Often it's over nations and movements and influential things. I think that there are demonic movements that kind of drive through a culture that cause people to mindlessly and numbingly uh, accept things that just aren't truth. And it becomes a big movement. Sometimes it's with governments. I think that there was major demonic uh, activity behind Hitler and how he handled things in, in, in true history. There were spiritual things behind that. How many of you know, in the end, God doesn't let that go unchecked. But sometimes in the middle of it, there's the, the enemy is powerful. And what I want you to, to understand is you and I experience those kind of things. When I, just a few years ago, uh, Pastor Nathan and I... And, and Dan Johnson, and we went to the Middle East and we visited a, a restricted access country. And then on the way back, we stopped in Cairo. And while we were in Cairo, we went to the Al-Hazar uh, Mosque, which is one of the oldest mosques in the world. It's a training center where they actually have a school for Islam there in Cairo. And, uh, and a lot of the, the uh, religious leaders and a lot of the governmental leaders and even a lot of the terrorist leaders have trained in Al-Hazar. And then they, they, so they learned the law there. We got to tour Al-Hazar. How many know I was praying in the spirit all my way through that place, right? And I didn't even fear, because you know what? I, I'm like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The fire is not going to touch me. I got Jesus. Every knee's going to bow. That's not stronger. So I didn't tell my wife I was going through there before I did. But hey, you know, I didn't want her to be afraid. Um, but I can tell you, when I walked into that building, that mosque, I could feel the spirit. There was a strong man there. There was a spiritual force. And Daniel was dealing with a spiritual force. You and your family deal with spiritual forces. It's, there are times when you have odd arguments with people in your family or people at work, and you're like, how did that happen? Why are we in conflict? And if we overreact and we react out of our flesh, we want to wipe out the person, right? Try to convince everybody else why we're right and they're wrong. But maybe it's a spiritual battle. Maybe there's something else going on. In Ephesians 6, Paul said it this way, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. There is a battle taking place. Recognize it. And there is a link between spiritual warfare and prayer. There is a link between spiritual warfare and your prayer. 
When you are praying daily, there are battles being won that you don't know about. And some of them you don't even need to know. You just need to claim the promises of God, stay under the blood of Jesus, declare the truth, and then do something that I'm going to talk about. Jesus tells us how to win the battle. Turn to Matthew 18. This is how I'll end the message. Matthew 18, Jesus gives a window into how you can overcome in the spiritual battles around you and the spiritual battles around us in our culture. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, verse 18. I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Let me just give you a real quick teaching that plays this out and Jesus tells us how to do it. He says, I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. These are stop signs and green lights. I want you to think about the, the metaphor of an actual stop sign. When he, you, when he says, whatever you forbid on earth is forbidden, and he says heaven, think that spirit dimension that I'm just talking about, where that battle is taking place. We actually can pray stop signs against the enemy. We can declare God's truth and throw a stop sign. Devil, you can't have my family. I throw a stop sign up to this. You cannot go anymore. And sometimes he tries to bite even harder in and sink himself into our kids, our family, or our neighbor, or whatever it's going on. But let me tell you this, the more you throw the stop sign up, the more the grip has to come off. You throw a stop sign. When you have a loved one who's caught in alcoholism or drug addiction, and you can't argue them out of it. You can't argue them out of maybe somebody's left the faith and they've been hurt or offended or whatever it may be. You're never going to argue them back into the fold. What you have to do is begin by stopping the forces that are working on their life. Devil, get your hands off my son. I know he's gone into alcoholism. I pray he gets sick every time he goes to the bottle. I come against that in Jesus' name. Whatever you, whatever you forbid, Jesus said. Then he says, whatever you permit will be permitted in the heavens. I want you to think in terms of a green light. This word is so full of so much truth about how God is for us and not against us, uh, how he will come through to a thousand generations. He will show his love. This word is so full of promises. If you read it and you pray it, you can pray a green light. It's like the psalmist said, open up the gates and let the king of glory come in. You can pray in such a way as you begin to pray, Lord, I rain down righteousness on the city in Jesus' name. I pray, God, that people will unknowingly begin to make right choices, even people that aren't followers of you yet, that are leaders in the land who begin to bend their heart, their need to you. You can pray a green light. You can pray, Lord, my prodigal daughter, my prodigal son, I pray, God, that you would put it in their heart to come back to Father's house. I pray, God, that you would send people their way that are part of the kingdom of God. I pray that they would open up their heart again and remember the loving kindness of God, the goodness of God that loves them and that your kindness would lead them to repentance. Oh, come on, somebody. I'm about to preach, pray. It's all mixed up and together. 
red stop signs and green lights. And then Jesus says, he doesn't just stay there. He combines it with not praying alone. He says this, I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. JC, come here real quick. Phil, come here real quick. Tim, come here real quick. Get up here, guys. You can run. They're, they're, they're cool struts. I saw you guys. This is, this is what Jesus was saying. When you gather together, you acknowledge, hey, I got this going on in my life. Jesus says, if you get together in a sense like a football team and you huddle up, and Tim prays it out, and everybody else is agreeing with him, not praying some other random prayer, they're agreeing with Tim's prayer. Like a football team, they're running the same play. Jesus says, right in the middle of your circle, boom, here's Jesus. And he steps in. How many know when you're in the middle of crazy spiritual warfare and it feels like your family's breaking apart and everything is falling apart, you can pray a prayer, but it's a different thing when you know Jesus just stepped into the room. You know you're going to make it because he's with you. You know that he's on your side. So it doesn't say you gotta pull together all the smart long-term Christians, all the mature believers that got it all together, have a lot of scriptures memorized. You don't have to pull, although these guys probably do, I'm not saying you don't. What it says, Jesus said, is you just gather together in agreement. We don't answer our prayers, he answers the prayers. It doesn't matter who you are today, if you come under the name of Jesus, if he's forgiven your sins and you've chosen to bow your knee and call him Lord of your life, you can stand together with other believers and God will answer your prayers together. It's not just your prayer, it's our prayer. It's not just me, me prayer, it's we prayer. It's the capacity to move mountains. And friends, it's time for the devil to feel some pain because the saints know how to pray. Can I get an amen? All right, guys. Would you stand with me today on all our campuses?